0: Well, it's the first time in my life that uh, I'm at a loss for words. Like, I, I don't know if you've ever experienced something that was so incredible that you just get frustrated because you think, there's no way I can explain this. See, I've never felt that before because I, I always just feel like, you know what, I can, I can convey this, I can communicate this, you know, this is my gift, I can explain how good this was. But these last couple of weeks in Africa... Man, God just absolutely rocked me. And they're just, it's frustrating because it's like I feel like there's so much I want to say and there's so much I want to explain and I just know there's no way I can get it across. I mean, it's, it's like when I left, when I left, you guys remember a couple of weeks ago, I was just so fired up. I felt like, have you ever been so full, just so full of life where you just feel like, man, I'm just barely able to contain. I'm just so pumped, so fired up. Well, this is how I feel now. You know, it's just like, man, I just got all this, all these thoughts and, you know, everything that's just, it's driving me crazy because it's like my mind, I was up at like two in the morning this morning, just thinking and you know that's the way i've been for the last couple of weeks i just can't even sleep because so much is going in and and uh and i just feel like i'm just gonna come here and you know vomit all over you you know like you know here's everything because i want so badly for everyone to get everything and i'm i'm just praying i'm like god somehow give me the wisdom you know over time to communicate everything that that's gone on and everything that's going on there in africa because of the ministry of this church it's so amazing to uh Go to this area that I went to last year where last year all it was was just a bunch of dirt, a bunch of kids laying around doing nothing all day. And going back this year and seeing buildings there, school buildings that Cornerstone built and having these kids in classrooms being taught, educated. They get vitamins, they get food, they get clothes. Every kid. In that that school was sponsored by someone in Cornerstone. And so it's so amazing. I mean, just such a rush to go to this place where you go, there was nothing here last year. And see this facility and see these kids and everything else. I mean, I can't explain to you what a rush that is to see these kids now together singing, worshiping. You know, worshiping our God, singing the same songs we sing. Or going to these universities and and teaching them the word that they've been so hungry for. I mean, it's amazing how hungry, how starving they are are for the Word of God. They'll just sit and listen. And, and that, that night you saw there, you know, at that pool, it just, I felt like I could have preached for three hours and these, these students would have just been glued. In fact, we would, we would stop worship and uh, they would start screaming, more white people, more white people, you know, and so, I mean, seriously, and so our band would come back and lead in some more worship, and it was just so crazy. I mean, the, the worship, the energy, and then we all just started, you know, then once they stopped, they, they just cranked up the music, and everyone just started dancing, you know, and so now we're just dancing to the Lord, you know, something I'd never done, but we're all just dancing, you know, our, our drummer, Leif, jumps in the pool, you know, and they're, they're all, you know, it's just like this wild party, you know, all in the name of the Lord, and it was, it, was, it was just crazy. I mean, the type of energy that was there was just just unreal. And I was just like, Lord, I just wish we could, you know, bottle some of that up and bring it here. Because they were so fired up. And these pastors, I mean, they, a lot of them had to walk so far just to get to this conference because they so badly wanted to be fed. And they you got to understand, they are not used to the Word of God. I mean, they really aren't. Even though they're excited, even though they're truly believers, the the concept of, of, you know, Kevin Oates, they're teaching them theology and understanding how to study the Bible for themselves and the whole thought of taking a passage of Scripture and teaching it to people, I mean, that's new to a lot of them. I mean, they don't understand the Word of God, but they have a passion, they have this zeal for the Lord, and it's just educating them getting them. And, And it was like a... It was just like a, a breath of fresh air to them to hear the word of God and, and uh, see the only thing they know of American Christianity is what they see on TBN, so that's what they're expecting, you know. And this whole concept of explains them. Look, it's it's not all about money. It's not about getting everything you can. And and as a pastor, it's not about power. And explains people. It's about becoming like Jesus Christ. Jesus was a servant. And, and, you know, so many of them were so into their names, you know, they wanted to be prophets, apostles, this or that, and to explain to them, no, we're, we're called to be servants, first and foremost, it was like a light went on for so many of them. You see, I, I was asking Pastor Peter, I go, hey, why, why is there so much of that, you know, just kind of name and recognition and power and this and that, and he says, well... You know, a lot of them are so used to going to witch doctors their whole lives. They've been going to the witch doctor to try to receive power from them. And so then once they become believers, they naturally gravitate toward the pastors and go, "Okay, we want this power. And so a lot of them will come to you and ask you just to touch them or pray for them. And it was so cool just to explain to them, look, it's not about me, you know, because they come and go, oh, man of God, you know, and it's like, you know, get off. (laughs) it. You know, you have no clue how people treat me in the States, you know, (laughs) this (laughs) is a. You know, and to explain to them that you know the goal that, that we as pastors have is is to be humble and to be servants to become like Jesus Christ, to care nothing about ourselves and to care about people, and and it was just so fun because they just ate it up and they just loved it and we were able to give them you know uh, these packets of, of theology and how to study the Bible and things like that that they could go and further their education and man it was just one of the coolest things I, I've, I've ever seen and ever done and. You know, before I left, I was, in, I was in total prayer, just like, God, what, what do you want to teach me? You know, as I go, I learned so much the last time. I went, what, what do you want to teach me this time? And, and you guys know I'm really careful to ever say, you know, I think God spoke to me, you know. But i I just praying. I'm like, Lord, you know, what do you want me to learn? And I felt like he just kept saying to me, love your neighbor as yourself. figure I'm safe saying that one because it's in there anyways, right? You know. <laughs> Whether he said it or not, he said it. (laughs) Love your neighbor as yourself. And, you know, that that passage in in Matthew 22, when when the guy asked Jesus, you know, teacher, what is the greatest commandment in the law? Jesus replies in in verse 37, he says, well, you love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. He says, this is the first and greatest commandment. And then he says, and the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commands. But that phrase kept coming back to me. Love your neighbor as yourself. Um, because I knew, I knew that I could go over there and love these people. Okay, that's not hard. I think anyone going over there and, and meeting some of these orphan kids that are so full of life because of what they have in Christ, you can't help but love them. But to love them as yourself? See, that, that's taking love to another level. Uh, someone was telling me about... Um, uh, Pastor Jack Hayford over at Church on the Way one morning got up in front of his congregation and he was preaching on this passage and he says, you know, the Bible says love your neighbor as yourself. So do it. And he sat down. And there was just silence in the church. Everyone was just kind of looking around. And, and then they started getting up and they started just trying to implement that. I mean, how do I love the person next to me like myself? How do I love that person across... The, some of you guys look nervous. Don't worry, I'm not going to do it. You're just like, oh, great, he's going to make me talk to someone. No. But, but the whole thought of, you know, just getting up and saying, well, how do we do that? We're so not used to thinking about loving people. It's a second grace commandment, but how would I do that? To love your neighbor as yourself. And the whole time I was there, just, just saying, God, give me the ability to love this kid. As much as I love... Because we naturally love ourselves. We take care of ourselves. When we have desires, we go and try to fulfill those desires. We know how to take care of ourselves. We know how to love ourselves. But to love someone to that degree... I mean, what does that really look like? I want to put a slide up. um, And and what I want you to do is... I want you just to stare at these kids right now. and, And what I want you to do as you look at these kids... I want you to think to yourself... If you were to love these kids, right here on the screen, as yourself, what would that practically look like? It's kind of a weird thought, isn't it? To think, okay, what? If I were to really flesh that out. If I were to take Jesus' words literally and really believe that Jesus meant what he said, when he said this is the second greatest commandment, and that I'm supposed to love my neighbor as myself. I mean, how, how would you flesh that out if you really loved them that much? Do, do you dare love someone that much? I mean, I mean let's be honest. Is, isn't there a side of you that is scared to love them that much? I mean, it's fine to love them. Say, okay, yeah, I love them. You know, here's a couple bucks. You know, go buy her a dress. But I'm saying love her as yourself to that extreme. Love that, that little child as yourself. I mean, what, what does that look like? And are, are you, do you want to have that much love in your heart? I mean, do you really want to be a person that really looks at the people around you with that much love to where you love them as much as you love yourself and you will put them equal to yourself? Or as Philippians says, you, you, you compare them and, and, and you see them as more important than yourself. Is that really the desire of your heart? Because it's one thing to love. It's another thing to love your neighbor as yourself. It's something that's supernatural. To empty ourselves the way that Jesus did and say, you know what, I don't care about myself. And I'm willing to suffer because I love these people so much. Let me give them what I have. Do we really want to be that extreme to love our neighbor as ourselves? You can turn that off. You know, probably the most heartbreaking experience we had there was a couple of our team members went up to this city called Soroti. You may have read about it on the news, but uh, in Soroti, what, what's going on there is there's this, uh, this bandit rebel guy named Coney. Uh, and what he does is he goes into these villages with his army and he kidnaps all the kids. The kids between ages 8 and 17. And what he does is he takes those kids that are 8 to 17 and then he kills the younger ones and he kills the parents and, and the older people. And he just you know, kidnaps the children and takes them out in the, in the jungle and he trains them to be fighters. He trains them to be soldiers. And then his, his army just keeps growing and growing and growing because they just keep going and, and they just swallow up these villages well, when people hear that he's nearby, they all flee. So a bunch of people have fled eastern Uganda, where he's just moved, and, he's, he, and they've gone into this town called Soroti. Well, the problem is, is this town isn't ready for 120,000 people to just rush into it. you had got 120,000 people that have now fled into the city, and, and it's not equipped for any of it. They'd have no food for them, they have no shelter for them, but it's somewhat safe because there's some, some guard there, some military there. And so... 65% of those people are children that have fled. The other 35% are women. The men stay behind and try to defend their land. But you've got 120,000 women and children in this town now. I mean, right now it's, it's 12 o'clock our time, so it's 11 o'clock at night over there. Okay, imagine right now just a bunch of dirt and 120,000 women and children lying in that dirt. no blankets. No clothes. A little bit of food. They've just figured out a way to feed these people. Um, through some different organizations, they're, they're sending food to them now. And uh, it costs about seven and a half cents a meal per person. So they get two meals a day, 15 cents a day per person. and They're barely scraping by to, to feed these people. It's just, it's just outrageous. And... And the thing is, is some of, about 500 of the people in Sarodi right now are actually some of those, those child soldiers that have been rescued. And one of the cool things is while we were there, they had just rescued about 150 of these kids. Now that's exciting, but you've got to imagine what that's like. Okay, imagine if you were 12 or 13 years old and you were kidnapped and you watched these people kill the rest of your family. You're taken into a jungle. The girls, 85% of the girls that return are, are pregnant. So you know what's going on there. The, the guys and the girls are trained to fight. And so you're, you're trained to fight and kill against your will. And the last couple of months, you've been, you've been killing people. And now these soldiers come and rescue you, and they bring you into this room here in this town called Sarodi. And now you've got 150 of these kids in this room that have just gone through that type of terror. What would you say to them? What do you do for them? And your pop psychology going to work at that point. Pastor Peter got up in front of that group of 150 kids and shared the gospel with them. He started to explain to these kids that, look, there's a life that comes after this one. There's, there's a reward for those who are faithful to this God. That God has seen everything you've been through. and He knows a lot of this you didn't choose to do. But it doesn't matter. You're forgiven for all of it if you can believe in his son. And from now on, God's going to be your father. He's your daddy now. See, some of these kids, their parents are still alive, but the parents don't want them now because they've been so brainwashed and they're terrified of their own children. And he, he watched as about 30 of them gave their lives to the Lord that day while we were there and, and have the hope of a new life. You see, see, here in America, we kind of sit back and we just go, well, do I want Jesus? I don't know. I don't know if I want to follow him yet. Maybe next week. It's just, it's just whatever. Relationship with God, yeah, it's fine. It's just like not even that exciting of news to to so many of us. Like no big deal, our Creator loves us. But for them, man, it's everything. And it's so hard to, you know, talking to people from my team that went over there, they're just going, I'm so depressed right now being back in America, because you you go over there, and there's such real ministry, real life needs, and, and just like the serious stuff, you know, not, oh, you know, pray for me, I can't make the payment on my suburban, you know, it's not about that, it's about, man, my whole life is wrecked, I don't know where else to turn, I need God, man, I just want a bite to eat, would you do anything for me, I mean, it's so hard to leave that. It's so hard to leave these these pastors that are begging me, please, would you just come into the Congo? Would you just please do a conference there? They don't know the word. Would you please come to Rwanda? Would you please come to Sudan? Would you please come to northern Uganda? Would you do this? Would you do that? And it's like, gosh, so much need out there. And and I tell you, it's, it, there's part of you that's just overwhelmed. You go, man, I, I can't go all of these places. But on the other side that says, you know what, I... God's called me here, and there's a reason. There's a reason why I'm in Simi Valley, and it's it's the idea of just mobilizing the church. There's a reason why we're so rich out here, and we are rich. There's a reason why we've got so much, and we're so stinking loaded. And it's not just so that we can just get more stuff for ourselves and really make sure that our kids are taken care of 30 years from now. It's about, well, maybe it's because these kids are starving and dying today and and really trying to figure out a way that we as a church can... uh, can do more and one of the questions i've been asked several times in my christian life is people ask hey where was the church during the holocaust what what were the have you ever been asked that you know what were the christians doing during the holocaust and i usually just kind of shrug my shoulders and go i don't know probably still having service and you know they probably worship they probably prayed for the people over there but you know really you don't hear a lot about what the church actually did you know in those situations and it, and. And I just kind of feel the same way. I just feel kind of silly for us just to come and, you know, let's all attend church. Let's have a service and go home. I mean, that's God's desire for his people as he looks down on this earth. Now I believe that he's called us to do something. And that uh, we're placed on this earth with our resources and our lives and our giftedness for a reason. And to live for that. But sometimes we can just go, well, you know, there's so much need out there. It's not like we're going to change the whole world. You know, it's not like we're going to, you know, end starvation with one church or this or that. And so what do we do? Just nothing? You know, one of the coolest things when I was, uh, I was teaching at the pastor's conference, a wonderful thing was going on at the same time. My wife was also able to use her spiritual gift. She, she took some kids shopping. And, uh, and it was... Uh, what was so cool about it was this, okay? This is, this is something just so awesome. You know, you know how a lot of you guys sponsor kids you know, over there? And some of those kids you saw in the video are kids that you're sponsoring right now, and that's why they... they... Well, you know, when our team got over there, everyone went and you know, they had pictures of their kids, and they were looking for the kid that they sponsor. You know? And it was so cool because everyone was hooking up with their children that they've been paying for for the last year and feeding. And, and it is, it's so cool because these kids are so excited. You know, and they, they call us mom, dad you know, and, and, and you, get, you get this relationship with them, and you think, no way, this is real, I've really been supporting this kid, and he really looked at my picture, and he really knows me, and, you know, keeps my letters, you know, are saying, you know, their letters are plastered on their walls, they're just so excited to see, you know, finally meet us, you know, well, well, me and Lisa, we met our kids, we we adopted these four kids, uh, you know, Kenneth, Rose, Dorothy, and Abisaj, they're, they're one family, and their parents died of AIDS, and uh, and so we we took these kids, and, you know, and, and we, we got them in front of us, and And it's like, hey, daddy's here, you know. And they all just kind of stare, you know. You know, just this blank stare, you know. And Lisa's like, hi, hi, you know, I'm Lisa, you know, and trying to hug them, and they're just kind of, you know. And it's like, what a drag, you know? And I'm looking at everyone else. They're playing with their kids. They're laughing. And honestly, I'm going, man, I got ripped off, you know? Mine are just kind of sitting there staring at me. They won't smile. They won't talk. You know, they aren't know any English, you know? It's just like, man, what in the world? And I was like wanting to trade, you know? And, uh, you know, I'm just telling you how I felt humanly. You just felt like, gosh, everyone's having so much fun with their kid. Look at me, you know? These kids are... You know, just, and then you know, then finally I just get convicted, you know, after a few hours. You know, it's like, you know, what do you expect? You know, I just get into such a selfish mindset. Like, I want these kids to come running to me or whatever. It's like, what do you expect? They watch their parents die. You know, they're struggling to survive. And, you know, yeah, you fed them for a year. But what what do you want them to be? But what was so cool is as as I was uh, teaching at the pastor's conference, Lisa took our four kids and she took them shopping. And she bought them shoes. She bought these girls dresses. She 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 bought them their first dolls, you know, and just let them pick out any doll you want, you know. And they buy these big lifestyle, you know, size white dolls, you know, and they're holding on to them. And and just seeing those kids that night, I mean, they were completely different kids after spending the day with my wife. They were just like different you know and just smiling and so excited but what was the the coolest part of it was not so much seeing the kids but talking to my wife afterwards and she was explaining you know just the shoes she goes yeah they get a pair of shoes each year but their feet grow so much you know kenneth's feet grew like two sizes and so to buy him shoes and and she goes man do you know what it felt like to slip shoes onto the feet of an orphan shoes that actually fit And she goes, man, I just started bawling as I'm putting shoes on this kid. And I just see my wife with this joy and this life and this light in her. I mean, you guys know Lisa. She's always happy. But there's this, it was like at this different level where she just experiences joy like never before. And and she's just like, man, I just want to give everything. And coming home, we really got to think through our budget. And we just got to give as much as we can. I mean, because there's just so much life. I, and I can't explain the rush in buying shoes for an orphan. I, I, you just can't explain because we, we, get excited, we get excited when we buy stuff for ourselves. Ooh, look at this new shirt I got. Look at these pants. Look at these, you know, whatever. And we get so excited going in a new car or a new house. You guys, that doesn't even compare to buying something for an orphan that, there, there's, there's, it's, it's night and day, it's completely different when you actually look beyond yourself and to slip shoes onto a kid that doesn't have shoes that fit him. And, and to, to look at their face and to look at just the light in their eyes, I mean, it does something to you where it's, it's like addicting, it's like no drug, where you're, you're just like on this high of, man, I actually did something for someone, and you know, we're, we're there, you know, and my team, we're just like so fired up and we're, we're just, you know, discussing one night. It's like, why do I feel like for the first time in my life, I'm really breathing, I'm really living, I'm really experiencing life. I, I, it's, just like, it's like I've been in a fog my whole life and now I finally get it and I'm breathing and I'm experiencing this life and I'm so scared to go back to America. Why is this? What is going on? You know, what is this feeling we're feeling? What is this rush that we have right now? And and, and I forgot who said it, but they they said, you know, it's it's James. It's James chapter 1. And we're reading that verse in James 1, verse 27, where it says, Religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless is this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. He says, you know what true religion is in God's eyes? He says, the type of religion that is acceptable to God, and where he says, that's faultless, that's pure, that's what I love. He says, pure religion is this, when you look after orphans in their distress. When you look after the widows in their distress, and you keep yourself from being polluted by the world polluted by this me, me, me mentality. I get more stuff from me. Get your mind off of that and actually look after the widows and the orphans. He goes, that's true religion. And what we discovered over there is that's true life. You know, when Jesus says, you know, I came that you may have life and have it more abundantly, it's about, man, when we live this life where we're loving people as much as ourselves, that's where you experience it. There's this, this, there's this new level of happiness and joy that comes when you look beyond yourself and you're, you're actually able to grab that kid and say, I love you as much as I love myself. You know, when I and look that pastor in the eyes and think, okay, I got to love this guy as much as I love myself. And to, to empty, I mean, it's scary because you think, well, if I keep giving all this stuff away, what's going to be left for me? But what we don't realize is we gain so much from giving. You know, when Jesus says, you know, it's more blessed to give than to receive. I mean, it's this, you know, we kind of look at that verse and, oh yeah, you know, it's a cute little saying, Jesus. But to, to experience it, I mean, to really, really experience it and to really give to that extreme, you realize, wow, it is so much better. It doesn't even compare. And, and the thing is, is it's not just about, oh, those, that poor African nation, poor people over there, poor, you know, orphans, this or that. You know, let's do it for them. Of course, that's why we do it. But I guess in addition to that, what I'm seeing is this is what we need. Okay? This is not just for them. This, I believe, is the greatest need in our lives here in Southern California is to give. That if we could learn to be unselfish, it would solve so many of our problems. It really would. It's exactly like what the Bible says. He goes, what causes all the quarrels and fights among you? Isn't it your greed? Isn't it the things that you want and you don't get it, and so you fight and you quarrel? It's about greed. And when we can look and just say, you know what, I'm content. Let me live my life for someone else and give. So many of our marriages are falling apart because of greed. She's not doing what I want her to do. He's not doing what I want him to do. It's all about me. And if somehow you could look beyond yourself and see yourself as a team and say, you know, we don't really exist just to make each other happy. We exist for the sake of others. Let's let, let's figure out how we can reach the world. Let's see how we can care for these widows and orphans. The life you would receive. I mean, when you're looking at these, these kids who have been killers and, and all cut up with machetes and everything else, you suddenly your problems go away. And suddenly you realize, oh... This week, the stuff I was stressed about really isn't that big of an issue. This would solve so many of our problems. You see, we have so much stuff and we're so depressed because we're thinking about ourselves. Anyone that sits in a room and thinks about themselves for a long enough time is going to get depressed. <laughs> you just are. And we go, oh, that's weird. I wonder what's causing this depression. Well, you sit and you think about yourself if we would take our eyes off of ourselves and see these people who are genuinely in need and care for them, you'd be amazed how much you'd be filled up. How much life there is when we obey the words of Scripture and look to those who are truly in need. God says that's true religion. And I really believe that's where we're going to find true life. See, I um, I just wonder if we fool ourselves sometimes, you know? and uh, we think, okay, we get a bunch of people in the room, we got a bunch of energy, you know, and the church keeps growing that God's pleased. When he says, is that what I said true religion is? No, I said true religion is when you guys would see yourself as a family. Okay, this is when God will see us as, as being truly the church and living out the church. When you actually love each other in this room as yourself, and when we as, as a group, as a family, have a mission and we look toward the widows and the orphans and those who are in distress around the world and say, you know what, we're an army sent by God to go do something about that. And we mobilize people to do that. And we give of our resources. See, not everyone's called to go, I, I don't believe. I believe some of you, your calling is right here. That some of you, what you need to do is make as much money as you can. <laughs> Seriously, but not for yourself. To give away, I, I've talked to several people who said, you know what, after these experiences, I, we've decided we're downsizing, we're trying to live off as little as possible, and now I am more excited to go to work than ever because I know I gotta make as much money as I can because I know where it's going now. See, before when I was just buying stuff for myself, work wasn't real fulfilling. It's just like, oh yeah, look what my hands bought for me. But there's such a rush in each day knowing I'm serving the Lord by going to work. And I'm making as much money as I can because it's going to the Lord's work. And suddenly what I looked at was as a drag is now my ministry. It, it's, it's, it's about maybe not going to Africa, but going to the inner city. You, you know, we have opportunities to sponsor kids in the inner city that are fatherless and to get them through school and help pay for their meals and actually build a relationship. Some of you guys, you need to be dads to some of these, these fatherless kids in the inner city. We're going to talk about how to do that next week. You know, those of you who are already sponsoring orphan kids in Africa, you know, to be more than just their provider, but to be their parents. To write them notes and love them as your very own kids. And maybe even fly over there and visit them. Your child. They they don't have a parent. It was so cool to to buy his little soccer ball, you know, and and, and just, you know, kick it around with, with my son, you know. And just think, no one's ever done this with him before. I took him out for his first pizza, you know. he'd never tasted pizza? you would never tasted pizza? You know, come on, son. You know, <laughs> we're getting some pizza. You know, I mean, it's just it's such a rush, you know, to just show this type of love. It's what we were created for. Um, you know, last story. I, on the way there, um, because you, you fly to England first. It's like an 11, 12-hour flight to England and then another nine hours down to Uganda. I mean, it's a long day. But on the way to England, um, me and Lisa were, were sitting next to this little girl and her mom, this, this little girl, uh, and they're from England, so they got that cool accent. You know, And it's always cooler when it's a little kid with the accent, right? So we're talking to this kid, you know, and uh, Lisa's talking, you know, and this kid asks her, you know, why, why are you going to Africa? And, and, uh, and Lisa explains, you know, well, I'm going, you know, because she's like, are you going to see elephants, you know, and all this other stuff. And she goes, well, you know, the main reason I'm going is... Uh, you know, you know, you have a mommy and daddy, and you're very lucky to have that. But do you know that there's a lot of kids in the world that don't have a mommy and a daddy? And, and they don't really get very much love. They don't get to experience the love that you get to experience. And so I just want to go and just show love to some of these kids. And she asks this little girl, you know, how, how, what do you think is the best way that I could show love to these little kids that don't have parents? And this girl says, you should buy them some toys. You know, and so Lisa goes, you know, I'll do that. I'll buy them some toys. You know, I'll buy them some clothes. I'll buy them some shoes. I'll get them some food. But I just want to be with them and love them and just hug them and show them love. And uh, they have this little conversation. About a minute later, this little kid looks at Lisa and goes, Excuse me, are you a superhero? (laughs) And so me and Lisa, we just naturally laugh, right? We're just kind of laughing. But this kid's got a straight face. And... She just, Lisa goes, a superhero? And she's like, yes, are you a superhero? And it's like, yes, I am pastor's wife, you know. I mean, <laughs> I mean, what, well, what, do you, what do you say to that, you know. But Lisa explains, no, you know, I'm doing this because, you know, because of what Jesus has done for me and he got to share this little kid. But the, the whole thing that I came back to later was, I thought, man, what a weird question. I mean... Isn't that weird that she would ask? It? Because in her mind, she's thinking, well, who else would go and care for the needy? And there's a part of that question that's, that's really sad. That in her mind, well, the only time you ever see this is on the cartoons. And her reasoning is, you must be a superhero. And I just thought, that, that's, that's pretty sad. I mean, wouldn't it have been so cool if, if she says, oh, are, are you a Christian? But that's not what Christians are known for. You know, that's what superheroes are known for, not Christians. That we're not known for true religion. That we're not known in the world as that force of people that goes out and cares for the needs of others. That we, like James says, we have been polluted by the world. And we do get caught up in the traps of everyone else like, I don't have enough. You guys, we've got far more than enough, we've got way too much. And until we start looking out for the needs of others, we won't see that. We won't see how rich we are. My prayer is that this isn't just another cute little sermon where we just go, okay, yeah, I should love others. Uh, My challenge is that you would really think through what your life would look like if you would love others as yourself. And you love your neighbor as yourself. Next week, we're going to have opportunities of giving... um, we're going to take an offering in a few minutes and have no problem just saying, you know what? We need to just give like crazy for some of us. Our ministry right now is financial and to look beyond ourself. But I'm just telling you, it's not just for them. It's for you. It's for us that we would really find life because there is so much life in being unselfish. There is so much life in the words of this book and it's scary Because you think, can I really live my life for others and not care about myself? Won't I run out and won't I... No, you won't. And you're not going to lose your life. You know how you lose your life? The Bible tells you. How do you lose your life? (coughs) You try to save it, right? He who tries to save his life is going to lose it. But he who loses his life for my sake is going to find it. And I tell you, if you're not experiencing the joy in the Christian life, if you're not finding that life... And you're not beaming, it's probably because you're thinking about yourself too much. And Jesus' way was always emptying himself and giving to others. And that was the joy that was set before him. And it's a joy that's set before us, a joy that we can have. And so, um, I'm telling you, I'm just going through like this weird, I'm like freaking out. (laughs) I just am I, I, you know ever since I've been back it's just like this what am I doing here and in one sense I know I know why I'm here and I know why God has placed me here at this time it's for you know it's to mobilize this group of people but there's that other side that it's just I don't ever want to forget what I've seen and, uh, and experienced and now that I have I'm accountable for that and there's a reason God has shown me that um, it's so that it's for our benefit as a church is to take our church to the next level and so that we would be practicing true religion in his eyes.